Should be. Oh, I am on. Okay. It's probably my fault. Well, blame me. Um, so good to hear you all singing this morning. Uh, our furnace went out, apparently, in this side of the building. So anybody cold at the back? Because it's like a thousand degrees up here. So just, if you need to be warmer, just move closer. It's really, really warm up here. Ernie's going to the back. Now he's sweating too much. Um, no, yesterday I got uh, the special opportunity again to roof with uh, Merv, um, but he gave me the hard job the whole day and, uh, and told me to keep the sermon short. <laughs> and I told him, so as I was getting down off the roof, I was looking at my phone and Blue Jays were winning 8-1. to one. So game three was going to be today at 12.07, which meant Merv might get his wish. But then they blew it and lost 10-9, and so now you're in for the long haul. Sorry, Murph. <laughs> There's a lot of groaning there. No, we'll get, we'll get through this. Oh, that was the Blue Jays groan. Yes, thank you. Yes, Blue Jays, very sad. Okay, we'll get over it. We're over it. Let's move on. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to finish Matthew 6. If you're visiting this morning, we've been spending the last couple months going through the Sermon on the Mount. So that's Jesus' longest block of teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just kind of straight through. And... Uh, I want to give you, rather than a recap of everything that we've talked about, I want to do something first because I made the cardinal rule not to break when you're studying a text. Our, our verse this morning, it starts at verse 25 to 34. And, and as I'm sitting down to study, I read through verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And, and I got way sidetracked here wrote like a page and a half on like, like uh, anxiety and mental health and some of these things, and I wanted to clarify all of these things. And I got really focused on that area, forgetting that when you study through Scripture, we have to study through Scripture to see what Jesus is trying to say in, in this case, rather than what I want it to say. And so, uh, verse 25, the first, ver- first word says, therefore, in the ESV. Anybody else have something different? In your translations. Therefore, I tell you, anybody else? Just all ESV. You're all such good Banff Park Church attenders. No, uh, there's other translations that will say things like, you know, be, because of this or in light of this or, or whatever it might be. And so the, the cardinal rule of this is Bible college, like first class, first thing you learn is when you come across a therefore, what are you supposed to ask? Oh, you're all so good. And I didn't do that, and I went, oh, here's what I think it's talking about. And not that mental health is not a valuable thing that we should talk about, and and we're going to carve out time for that at some point for sure. But we don't want to inject what the text, into the text, what it does not say. And I had to be reminded of that, and I had to then erase a page and a half of my sermon, but don't worry, that doesn't make it any shorter. Because I had to restudy and re-go through it all. I needed to be reminded that it's so easy to misrepresent Scripture. And this is what so many people across the world do. Is they just find a verse that supports an idea that they already have. Or they find a verse and forget leading up to it what it's talking about. And so we can come up with all kinds of theologies all over the place in in just all kinds of ways. Pretty much getting the Bible to say anything we want if that's our goal. Well, our goal here at Banff Park Church remains, and and I hope always will remain, that we want to understand the Word of God in its original context so that we can be clear who is God, 
What is his character? What is he trying to teach us and say to us through these ancient writings? And how can we allow those things to impact our lives in the context in which they're meant to, not just to choose how I want to interpret it how, in whatever willy-nilly kind of way I want to do that. If you don't speak English, willy-nilly is not... Uh, <laughs> That's just a little weird slang that just means I don't even know how to say it without using slang. Anyway, let's just move on. So where do these verses fall? When you hit therefore, what are we talking about? Last week. Well, not last week, right? The, the verses before this. So we talked about this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so we talked a great deal about understanding that we live in a very material world and it gets very easy to get sucked into that material world and to value possessions as, as kind of king in our life. And, and Jesus talks a great deal about how stuff can become idolatry really quickly. And we need to be reminded of that. And, and my argument kind of at the end of the whole thing was that it, it's not good enough for us to just evaluate once in a while our, our material things, but to regularly evaluate our hearts and our minds so we can figure out why, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we use the things that we have for what? And, and it fits so perfect with Thanksgiving as we go into this morning, because as Ernie mentioned, we, we have so much to be thankful for, but it's so easy to focus on what we don't have that somebody else might have, that we wish we did have, than just being content and thankful for what we have been given. And when we get out of the material mindset and we realize that we have been given the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ on the cross, is there anything else that we could possibly need any more than that? Now, that doesn't mean we don't have daily needs. And, and in fact, at the beginning of chapter 6, a few weeks back, Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for our daily bread. We are to ask him for the things that we need. And he knows the things that we need. He said it then, and he's going to say it in our text this morning again. But as we kind of think about material possessions, as we think about, he's going to clarify, food and clothing and some of these things. What I want us to be focused on here is the sense of anxiety that maybe takes our focus off of Christ, who he is, and puts our focus only on the world and the difficulties and the confusion, um, the uncertainty that we face. So let's read these verses together and let's remember the context that we find them in so that we can interpret them the way that God wants us to says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And is not the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither reap, sorry, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God 
his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's a tough command to be given, isn't it, in today's world? Do not be anxious. I think most of us struggle with this to varying degrees at varying times. We can think about the very basic elements like Jesus talks about here. We could probably think about all kinds of other things, things that are important to us that that really matter. Uh, But we can get focused on the impracticality of, or maybe in our mind, the impossibility of what we think should happen versus what we think is going to happen. But remember, Jesus is not speaking in hyperbole in this moment. Basic needs are a real thing, especially in that culture at that time. The people that Jesus is talking to are people that are worried about where is my next meal coming from and how am I going to clothe my children. Very real, practical things that that many of us probably, and I I don't want to trivialize the challenges that we have now, but they were far more a reality for them in their day-to-day lives than maybe for many of us. Jesus gives us a a few examples to argue about why we shouldn't be anxious about this. He says, look at the birds. Uh, God provides for them. They They don't gather it. They don't store it up. They don't put it in barns for a rainy day. But aren't you of more importance than they are? gives another example in creation and I mean this is a perfect one for us we can walk outside and we can see the beauty and the splendor and right now um, to, to quote Caleb fall is my favorite day of the year in Banff right like it's real short but it's so beautiful to go out and to see what we see and, and yet Jesus makes the argument that Solomon the, the richest king in the world that had access to every material thing possible you couldn't compare to just walking outside and looking at God's creation and his wonder. Don't be anxious about these things. Now, it might seem a little contradictory because, you know, he's, he's asked us to pray for these things in the beginning of chapter 6, and now he's asking us not to be anxious about those things. So how do we deal with that? Are we just to just pretend like everything will all work out and there's no problem and we can just do kind of whatever we want and God will provide? I think that's misreading the text here. Craig Blomberg points this out. He says, Christians must plan for the future, but they need not be anxious about it. The the point is simply this. I say simply. It's very hypothetically simply. It's practically very challenging. Is do we trust God? Do we trust that he is at work in our lives with purpose and with meaning? Or do we think that we need to kind of intervene a little bit and, and, and do things our way because clearly God's not living up to his end of the bargain. Yesterday in Canmore, I saw uh, my pet peeve license plate that some of you know. Uh, It says, God is my what? Co-pilot. It's horrible theology. What What should God be in that setting? He's the pilot, right? You're along for the ride. You're not like, okay, God, you sit in the, maybe we do this. We shouldn't do this. Put God in the co-pilot and we go, okay, where am I supposed to turn? And then he says, okay, right in the next turn. And what do we do? That doesn't look very nice. I'm going to pick a different road. So if God's your co-pilot, do you have to listen to your co-pilot? Now, men, just real quick. Your wives, if they're sitting next to you and they're your co-pilot, they're probably really good at it, so just let them do it. Real quick, just moving on now. 
when we think about this, this anxiety of, of trusting God, it doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge that we have needs and concerns. It means that despite those concerns and the worries that we might have in that moment, that we take it to the Lord and we say, God, I know I'm being anxious about, about this material thing, but help me understand that my life is way more than just material. As, as the verse says right near the end there that we probably, many of us, memorize, seek first what? The kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded probably way more than I want to admit that there are far more important things than the stuff that I have surrounded my, myself with. And this is the point of thanksgiving, right? Is sometimes there's an abundance of things and we're thankful for that. And sometimes there's not an abundance of things. And in those moments, we remind ourselves that we're thankful for what God has given us anyway. And in those moments where we don't have an obvious abundance, maybe it's even easier to recognize the gift of salvation and how important that is and how desperately we need to trust God for our daily bread as he taught us to pray for. Do we trust God? Genesis 16, we have an example of this, and, and God had come down and promised to Abram and Sarai um, that they were going to have a son, and that Abram was going to be the father of a great nation, and that through him all nations were going to be blessed. And so as chapter 16 goes on, we, we read that, well, this hasn't happened yet, and they're both getting kind of very old, and, and so they're like, well, Maybe God meant something different than we heard, and so let's, let's kind of come up with a plan. And so Sarai has a, a female servant named Hagar, and in verse 2, uh, they come up with this plan. I'm not going to read, I'm just going to paraphrase here, but, but they come up with this plan of, well, well, Abram, why don't you sleep with her and have a son through her, and because she's my servant, it'll, it'll be just like he's our son, and, and that's the way that we'll accomplish this, and clearly this is, this is kind of what God meant for us to do. Well, if you keep reading through the text, you find out that that was not God's plan, and God rebukes them for their lack of faith. And I think us reading it sometimes, we're like, come on, guys, you should have done better. But how often are we guilty of the same thing? Sarai is too old to actually have biological children at that point. So I think logically, we can probably throw her a bone a little bit and go, you know, I, I think I, I see why you made the plan that you did. It logically makes sense. But that's not what God promised. And so the question is this, are, are we going to redefine what God says to us and has said to us through his word because it doesn't make sense in this moment? Well, God, you couldn't possibly provide for us at this moment because it can't happen now. Or do we remind ourselves that God is a God of miracles and that God is bound by no rules he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And so if he said to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you a son, and he makes them wait till this point where they can no longer have a son so that he can prove himself faithful, even in the impossible, you would think that that would make Abraham and Sarah trust him all the more. The problem is, as you read through the Old Testament, is God has to do that over and over and over again. People trust him for a little while. We're, we're a very much, we trust God only in what he's done for me lately kind of people. And then we forget that God was faithful. And we see a situation that, uh, that isn't going the way that we expect. And I think this is the challenge with trust. Is it's easy to trust God when he miraculously provides. 
It's easy to trust God when things happen exactly as we've lined it up and outlined and planned. How many of you have ever done your little five-year plan? Does that ever go the way you planned? If it ever does, you go, wow, God, you're so good. Thank you. But on the flip side of it, when everything falls apart, do we go, God, thank you for not allowing me to go down that road because what you have for me is better. Do we say that? Maybe we say it. Do we, do we mean it? Craig Keener writes this. He says, faith is not an intricate ritual to get what we want for ourselves. Faith is obeying God's will with the assurance that he will ultimately fulfill for us what is in our best interests. That kind of faith grows only in the context of an intimate relationship of love between the Heavenly Father and His children. It's a great point that he makes there, right? I'm going to read the line again. That faith is obeying God's will with the assurance that He will ultimately fill for us what is in best interest. So think parent-child. Parents, you know what's in the best interest of your kids. But when they're really little, do they? Almost never, right? They think they want something. I saw a, a little video this week. Uh, it was first day of school for a little kindergarten girl, and she was pumped. And uh, mom opened the door, and the child just on the ground screaming, I wanted to open the door. And mom says, well, then close the door and open it. She just lays there and cries. So she's like, okay, I'm going to the car. So she walks to the car, and then, and then you see the door close. You see the door open, and she runs out, and she's all ready for school now. She's like, nothing had happened. It's like, mom knows what's going on, but for the child, it's like, this is the biggest, worst problem of my entire life. And, you know, it's really easy when other people are being dramatic for us to go, man, like, settle down. But then we are blind to that in our own lives. God, how are you going to see me through this situation? This doesn't make any sense to me. God, how can you be faithful when you've allowed this thing to happen to me? Well, you've heard me say this a million times, but it's been a few, a few weeks since I quoted Romans 8, so we're going to do it again. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good for those who are called according to his purpose. And again, we clarify this all the time, but it needs to be said is what I think my good is and what God thinks my good is are often very different things. Because what I think is good is, is not having to suffer, is not going through pain, is not going through hurt. But how do I learn to trust a God if he never allows hardship in my life to learn that I actually can't do it on my own and that I need to rely on him for that strength? As I was considering this, uh, these verses, I was reminded of my friend Mike, and I haven't given you an update on Mike. Uh, Mike's a missionary in South Africa, about the same age as myself, and, and he was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer, and essentially given three weeks to live with hope that maybe a miracle would happen. Praise the Lord, he's doing very well, and he's been discharged, and he's at home. Now, there's a long road ahead still, and we're going to continue to pray for him. But in those moments, you can look at this and you can say, God, thank you for, for intervening and, and doing what the doctor said probably wouldn't happen. And, 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 you know, many of us probably have stories like that of people we've known in our lives where we've seen God's healing power and touch. And it's amazing. But then the flip side of that is also true. It's how many of us have lost a loved one, hoping and maybe even believing that God would do a miracle, only 
to not have that happen? Do we still trust God that God worked for the good of those who love him? Well, we've got to redefine what we think good is. And I think when we use this context, these verses 19 to the end of the chapter here, and we start taking material things out of the equation and we start to really focus on the spiritual as what is most important in our lives, I think we get a slightly different perspective. And again, I, I know that I focus way too much on stuff and not enough on Jesus, not enough on what he thinks is good, not thinks, what he knows is good and right for me. So Jesus then says, do not be anxious. Because of these things, don't be anxious. And then he finishes verse 34 again, therefore don't be anxious. Worry. What does it help? Usually it just causes us more stress. What does stress cause us? Less sleep, less health. And Jesus uses the argument like, can you, can you by worrying gain an extra hour in your life? Actually, if you are a, cr- a person who has with chronic worry because you don't think that God is going to come through for you or, or you are worried that he's not going to come through for you in the way that you expect him to come through for you, it actually is probably going to lessen your lifespan through the worry and stress. Let me give you a real practical example again on, on parenting. Think back to when your kids were little, or if your kids are little right now, then that's maybe more easy for you in this moment. But as your kids are growing up, you start to worry, how will they be when they grow up? Will they do what's right and good? What kind of world are they going to live in when they grow up? What kind of decisions are they going to make? What kind of friends will they have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? But at some point, you come to the realization that you can't do any of that for your kids. You can model for them what is true and what is right and what is good. And you can show them through how you live that Jesus is what's most important in your life so that they see the value in that. But you can't make any decisions for them. And and the older they get, the more apparent that becomes. And sometimes the consequences that come with those decisions that we can see clearly and go, you don't do that. Sometimes those consequences are so hard and so painful that we can sit there, we can go, God, what what are you doing? But what we need to do as parents is remind ourselves of the truth, that God loves our children far more than we do. And he wants nothing more than to be in relationship with each and every one of his children. And so God is at work in the midst of that. And if that means pain or hurt or struggle, or if that means maybe terminal illness for someone to reevaluate their priorities, to come face-to-face with the living God and say, this is what I need, not material, then isn't that what's good? Isn't that what's right? It would be very unloving of God to give us everything for now and nothing for eternity, rather than to say, I have what's best for you. Just trust me. And we never know the impact that we're going to have on someone else's life. And again, I think back to Mike and, and him and his wife, Mary Ev, uh, had a Facebook uh, kind of update daily as to Mike's condition. And there was some real vulnerable, honest moments in that of hurt 
and uncertainty and confusion, and yet all the while the focus that God knows what's best. And through those just few weeks in the hospital, Mike ministered uh, and, and shared the gospel with probably more people than he has in all the years that he's been a missionary in South Africa. Is that what's best? Only if we take a step back and we look at the things in a broader perspective. And that's hard for us because we look at our own lives and we look at our own family or our own kids or the people that we love the most and we want what we think is best for them. And so we struggle with worry and anxiety. The things, the practical daily things that we need, well, the thing that we need most is the grace and mercy of Jesus. And I think if we don't remind ourselves of that daily, we can forget that. So Jesus says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. D.A. Carson finishes this section by saying this, today's grace is sufficient only for today and should not be wasted on tomorrow. If tomorrow does bring new trouble, there will be new grace to meet it. Those are wise words. Friends, it doesn't mean that we don't have very serious challenges in front of us. But what it does mean is rather than get sucked up in anxiety and worry about what may or may not happen, let's go back to the Lord's Prayer. Let's go back to reminding ourselves of who God is, his love for us. And yes, we have daily needs, but we can trust him to do what is right and what is good for us. Even if it's not what I want. So when you're feeling anxious about the things that are in front of you, the job that you're supposed to have, the person that you're supposed to marry, the house that you're supposed to move into, all these very basic, normal things. Let's pray. Let's seek God and let's remind ourselves that far more important to those material things are am I living a life that honors Jesus. And if we do that, he'll guide us through the rest. Might not go like we expect. In fact, it won't go as you expect. But hopefully as we learn to trust in him, we'll see his broader picture. We'll see the impact that God is able to have on others through our lives and through what he's doing. Let's pray. God, this is a tough, a tough text because as soon as we read, don't be anxious, we can get real defensive real quick. But when we do feel anxious, when we do feel worrisome, Would we go in prayer to you and would we remind ourselves that we can trust you no matter what the outcome of the situation is? That doesn't mean we're just not going to even make any plans or do anything. We're going to do everything that we can that you've given us the wisdom to do, but under the auspices that we're going to trust you. And we're not going to let that worry debilitate us. God, for those here this morning who are struggling with anxiety and worry, I just pray that you would surround yourself with them. That you would show them how much you love them. And and even though the situation may not be going as expected or hoped, that in the midst of that, we can still choose to trust you. And I'm convinced that this is where corporate Christian assembly comes together. That we can build one another up and we can help one another in these times. And so God, would you give us the courage and the belief to step out this week and to encourage someone that we know is struggling. 
Not to try and give them the answers that we think they should have, but to simply remind them that God loves them and cares for them, and so do we. God, would we support one another as we move forward. Give us the wisdom to know what is the right thing to do in the right moment. May we be people who want to honor you with how we live and how we act. God, thank you for this morning, this Thanksgiving weekend. Help us to not focus on the things that we don't have. Help us to focus on you and your grace and your mercy and the reality that you have given us more than we could ever ask. Help us to change our perspective today. Amen. Thank you all for joining us again this morning. As Ernie mentioned, there's coffee and snacks, and we would love to visit with you and encourage you along your way. I hope you have a great week, and and please come visit us if you need anything.